Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. There's people that are defeated around you. Maybe you are. We need to remember that's not the time to kick somebody while they're down. Maybe they're a little lazy. Maybe they're doubting all these things. And instead of, oh, you shouldn't be like that. Oh, if you just had Jesus, you wouldn't be acting like that. Okay, that's really going to do them a lot of good. You're just sent up their force fields. You're never getting in now. The time in a, sense, in a situation like this, it's time to have compassionate. Don't kick them while they're down because you will some point be down yourself. There's going to be a time when you're in doubt. There's going to be a time when you're hurting. And you're going to want somebody with compassion to come and build you up. The Bible says to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness because they're injured. Don't injure them even more. Give them the opportunity with gentleness, encouragement. Give them the opportunity to want to climb up again. And I think this is exactly what Joshua did with the Israelites here before asking them the question. How long are you going to wait to go take your portions? He waited to get them built up first before he asked that question. I think it's very orderly things to do. And we need to try to remember this order of operation that Josh was doing because you have, help, you have a helping effect and influence on people who are hurt. And it's not for you to go stick them in the side. Hey, get up. Stop doing that. Be compassionate. And then when they get built up, then ask them the question, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? Come on, let's go. You see what Joshua did? I think it's real good stuff for us to learn from. Joshua 18 and 4. So now he says, Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. And so he's telling these remaining seven guys, look, I mean, we got all these guys already got theirs. What are you waiting on? Now go survey the land, bring the survey back to me. And remember, the Levites did not get a portion because Jesus is their portion. Jesus is their inheritance. And I always like to make the parallel, don't look for your inheritance down here. It's not down here. Don't be striving for all that money. Don't be striving for all that success. I'm not saying it's wrong to have ambition. I'm not saying it's wrong to be successful and and do things. I'm saying don't expect that to be your inheritance. It's not down here. Your inheritance is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are priests in Jesus. So the Levites got no portion because their inheritance was in, in the Lord himself. And so 
Joshua knows the people are built back up and they're ready again. And in verse 4, Joshua did not say, I'm going to show you what Joshua did say, but I'm also going to show you what he did not say. Joshua, in verse 4, did not say, survey the land according to its inhabitants. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? He He said, survey it according to inheritance. The inheritance of the land was proportionate to the size of the tribe. However, the population of your tribe, if it was a big tribe, you got a bigger piece of land. If you were a small population tribe, you got a smaller piece of land. He said, don't gauge it on those enemies that are in there. You gauge it on how many people's in your tribe. So survey it according to the inheritance. Remember, before this, the the Israelites were saying, we can't take the land. The enemy's too big. The enemy's too big. They have big chariots. They're giants. We can't do it. So what Joshua is actually saying here is don't survey the land according to the size of the enemy. Survey the land according to the size of God's promise. Now we're cooking. The enemy should have no bearing on the survey whatsoever. Go and survey it according to inheritance. Survey it according to what the size that God has given you. The enemy is not even a factor in this. He's trying to tell them, you've been been going about it the wrong way. Y'all been letting the enemy stop you. You're supposed to take it. Don't base it on them. Base it on the promise. Can you hear the charge in Joshua's command now? Go get it. Oh, those enemies. Don't do it like that. Survey it according to the promise of your inheritance. He is talking to a restored people now. He couldn't tell them this not long ago before Shiloh. Now he can. The people are motivated again. And because they're motivated again, now Joshua is challenging them again. The challenge comes with the motivation. I hope you're getting built up today. Because if you get built up here in a bit, I'm going to challenge you, okay? So they are about to turn defeat into victory because the enemy is no longer their focal point. Their faith is the focal point now. Now, I have a nice detail here that I want to point out. The historian Josephus, he wrote that the men that Joshua commanded to go and do the survey, they were experts in land surveying. I mean, why not pick these guys? They know how to do it. Now, the Israelites have been slave in, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were lost in the desert 40 years before that. Where do you think these men learned the skill of land surveying? Well, they picked it up in Egypt. That's where they've been. <laughs> they've been there for hundreds of years. They learned this in Egypt. And so something I want us to recognize here is that the work, the work that these men suffered under in slavery is about to become their key to freedom. What they picked up in slavery is about to become their way to freedom as they go survey the land. Egypt, their oppressors taught them how to survey the land. They're taking what their oppressor put on them, and now it's going to be their freedom. Friends, the work that Jesus suffered on the cross is our way to freedom. Now, the Israelites went through suffering, and I know that you are too. Everybody is. Everybody has pain. But I want to tell you something about your pain. And that, like, let's keep in mind that the context of these Israelites, they went through pain, but what they got from it 
they're now going to use it to say, I'm free now. I want you to see something here in 1 Peter 4.13. It says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. These last seven tribes are soon about to enter the joy of their inheritance, but it came through suffering. They didn't, it just didn't fall in their lap. They went through trials. The trials that you face right now, they're not just there to mess you over for no reason. The sufferings that you're experiencing as a believer are someday going to bring you exceeding joy when Christ reveals his glory. Look at how suffering gained the Israelites a way to freedom in Joshua 18. They're now utilizing something they took under pressure is now going to free them. Same with you. Something you're undergoing through pressure of trial is going to be the very thing you're going to use later somehow for your freedom. That's something good. Because when I'm in the middle of a trial, I don't know how to make sense of it. I I just don't know how to do it. I tell people that God does his best work in our weakness, but you can see what you can do with this. Because look what the Israelites are doing with it. So what, what I want to say is that their pain became their freedom. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. His pain became my freedom. Jesus' pain became my freedom. And so for you today, whatever your trials are, rejoice in it. God's got this. God is going to turn it into exceeding joy. Just you wait and see. It will happen. Joshua 18 and 8. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before... For you hear before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. The last few chapters we've been going through, all the complaining we've been seeing. Okay, here's your portion. Oh, we're not kicking them out. Here's your portion. Well, we can't kick the Canaanites out, or we won't kick the Canaanites out, or we would not kick the Jebusites out. And it became a thorn in their side, which oppressed them later, because they didn't deal with the enemy when God told them to take care of it. And there was complaining, and there was whining. Oh, we can't do it. They got chariots. Do you see any complaining now? I don't see none. (laughs) They're going and doing it. No record of moaning. Joshua commanded, and verse 8 says, Then the men arose to go away. All right, guys, let's go. Come on. (laughs) I love it. Joshua said, do it. Let's go do it. Now we're firing on all cylinders here. Things are now clicking. Now, we don't know how long it took them to survey the land out, but they got it done, and they brought the survey back, however long it took to do it. And they weren't scared of the people that were in there. They weren't scared of the big chariots they had and the size they were. The enemy's no longer a factor. Now it's the promise they're working on. How good is that? Man, can't we do that? Sure we can. These remaining seven tribes, they're tired. They're tired. Uh, They've been wandering for decades in the desert. Before that, their ancestry had been slave for 400 years. They want their home. I want my home. I'm tired. How exciting it must have been for these people to see the men face the task and get up and go get the work done. Look, there they go. They're going to go survey it. Not long now. I'm ready to go home. And you know, when I think about it, I can relate to this part of the story because I want my home. 
I want to go home. But it doesn't do any good for us to just sit here and neglect the work. We should be doing the work of the kingdom. Yes, I want to go home. But what good does it do to just sit here and not move forward? Jesus took care of all the work on the cross, and that's why he shares work with us. But I want to go home. I'm ready. I want to get there. And to get there, I need to be doing some service along the way because he commanded me to do it. We need those who will get up and take on the task of doing the work that God has called us to do. Stop letting the doubt and the size of the enemy block you from your walk. Let's get up and do the job. Let's get up and do the work. It's like the missionary, uh, Theo, that we support in El Salvador. He said it's encouraging for him to see us in our work over here. Well, I'm encouraged seeing him over in El Salvador. It's encouraging for me to see him. He said it's encouraging to see us. Is it going to be encouraging to him if we just sit down and go, well, I can't do it? It's encouraging for everybody when everybody's up doing what they can do with what God has gifted you to do. And so the men got up and they went to do it. I'm sure there's a lot of people got real excited. All right, we're about to go home. You know, we're about to go home too. So let's just stay busy until Christ comes and takes us, right? Joshua 18 and 11, the land of Benjamin. Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Their border on the north side began at the Jordan, and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north, and went up through the mountains westward. It ended at the wilderness of Beth-Avon. The border went over from there towards Luz, to the, I think that's right, to the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward, and the border descended to Ataroth-Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of lower Beth-Haran. Then the border extended around the west side to the south from the hill that lies before Hethoron southward, and it ended at Kirjath Baal, which is Kirjath Jerem, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west side. The south side began at the end of Kirjath Jerem, and the border extended on the west and went out to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah. Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom to the side of the Jebusite city on the south and descended to Enrogel. And it went around from the north, went out to Enshemesh and extended toward Geliloth, which is before the ascent of Adumim and descended to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then it passed along toward the north side of Arabah and went down to Arabah, and the border passed along to the north side of Beth Hogla. Then the border ended at the north bay by the, at the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern boundary. I'm telling you, we read everything here. <laughs> the Jordan was its border on the east side. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, according to its boundaries all around, according to their families. Now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho, Beth Hogla, Emek, Kizes, Beth Araba, Zemarim, Bethel, Evim, Pera, Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, oh, Lord help me, Shephar, Hamoni, Ophni, and Gaba, twelve cities with their villages, Gibeon, Ramah, Biroth, Mizpah, Shephira, Moza, Rekim, Irpil, Terala, Zela, Eleph, Jebus, which is Jerusalem, Gibeath, and Kirjath, 14 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, according to their families. 
So here's this, uh, you see the tribe of Benjamin, they got the section of land between Judah and Joseph's children. And this area contains a lot of historical locations that's going to play out in biblical history later, especially Jerusalem, especially Jerusalem, Joshua threw lots before the Lord. And as he says, I I want to throw lots before the Lord for you. And it's kind of a foreign thing for some of us. Uh, Proverbs 1633 says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Those of you who like to gamble, beware of this. Okay. It's not going to work out well for you. Joshua threw the lot. He threw it. Let's just, or maybe it was a bag with stones and they reached in and shook it or whatever. I don't know how they did it, but we understand the concept. He threw the lot, whatever. But God chose Benjamin to end up dwelling in the same place that Jerusalem is at. That's how God chose the lot to fall, for Benjamin to dwell in Jerusalem. What's so significant about this? This is proof that God controls the casting of the lot because long before Joshua cast this lot right here where we're at, Moses prophesied that in the future, the future site of the temple of Jerusalem would be within the tribe of Benjamin. How neat is that? I found it. Deuteronomy 33 and 12. It says, of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. And so here's this prophecy that's just now starting to be fulfilled with the throwing of the lot. God told it where to fall. Benjamin, they get Jerusalem. Prophecy is starting to come true. That's just great. The future temple is going to be built in Jerusalem within Benjamin's territory, right where God said it would be. Exactly. You can see why Joshua was so adamant about casting lots before the Lord, because that removes man's bias. No man can come up and go, oh, no, 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 no. We want that section right over there. We want the, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's, about, it's going to be by lot. God's going to determine this. God's going to do this. And so Joshua threw, threw lots because it ensured that it would, the outcome would be God's decision. Do you ever conduct your life like that? That the outcome is going to be by God's decision? Or do you have, no, I, I got to put my influence on it. Oh, from Joshua's obedience to throw lots, we're now seeing the fulfillment of an old prophecy. That's good. Friends, in our future yet to come for us, King Jesus is going to sit on the throne of Jerusalem and we're going to see him there. We're going to see him on his throne there in Mount Zion. And so you can see how this event here in Joshua 18 of him throwing the lots here has the beginning influence on one of the greatest prophecies in a great moment that you and I have yet to experience. This is what's going on with Joshua 18 has an effect on something you and I are going to see in our future. And people sit there and they say that the Bible is irrelevant today. (laughs) No, it ain't. (laughs) It has everything to do with you and I and our future. God caused the lot to fall exactly so that prophecy would be fulfilled. Basically, what I can tell you out of this is, friends, when God says something's going to happen, mark his words, it is going to happen. And there ain't nothing that's going to stop it either. Let me give you a little sense of that. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call upon the name of the Lord, you're going to be saved, and there ain't nothing that's going to stop that. I couldn't sleep at night if I didn't know this. And that's a great promise to walk in. That's a great promise you've been given, but has a pattern of defeat caused you to start doubting it. Oh, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know I've got to turn life ahead. Oh, why are you defeated? 
you got that promise right in front of you. Like the Israelites had the promise right in front of him. Why are you doubting? Great promise. Don't let the pattern of defeat cause you to start doubting God. Israel's victory was right in front of them, but because of doubt, they stopped seeing the promise. Maybe you know about God's promise up here in the head. Maybe you had not swallowed it down in the heart yet where it becomes a real belief, and now I'm going to act on it. Maybe it's just this little head knowledge swimming around up here like a fish in a, in a bowl. You're not really doing anything with it. But for some reason, when trials hit, you're more focused on your trials than you are upon what God promised you, like Israel got to. What should you do about it then? Well, I think we've got a great example from Joshua here, because I know a lot of us are in this. We're more concentrated on the problem than we are in the promise. When Peter walked on the water to Jesus, he got distracted by the problem on the water, and he started to sink in it. Jesus like, hey, uh, eyes up here, buddy, come on. I'll take care of that. Well, then, he, then he was fine. Don't concentrate on the problem. Concentrate on the promise that God gave you, and then you'll get through it. So let's look at Joshua's example. Joshua assembled all the people. How? Together. He got everybody together to unite them and build up the tabernacle. So what I want to say from this is the church offers you, even, especially even this one, offers you many, many ways of uniting together not just Sunday. We offer you a lot of ways to get together. We meet on Tuesdays for prayer. We, we got several things we get to do together because it is so necessary for everyone's encouragement. If there is a pattern of defeat in your life, then I'm asking you, take the time to assemble with us and build up the body of Christ. That's how it worked here. That's how we should do it. Build up the body of Christ. As, uh, Israel, they assembled at the dwelling place of God to be restored back to faith in order to trust in the promise of victory again. So let's build up the body of Christ. That would be you, and that would be me. Let's build up the body of Christ together in unity. Let's get together and encourage one another so that we can all respond to the burning question. I need to get us to this point where we can respond to the same burning question which is, how long will you neglect to go and possess what the Lord has given you? Don't survey according to the size of the enemy. Survey according to the size of the promise. We have a promise we've been offered in God. That should be the way you walk. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's your victory right there. Don't let those enemies stop you. Once that pattern of defeat starts, it's going to knock you down. If that's you, Ray, I'm knocked down. I need help. We're here to build you up. That's what we're here to do. We're going to build you up again. So we need to ask you, have you been built up today? Are you encouraged? How's about that? Are you encouraged a bit? So how long are you going to neglect to go and take what God's given you? He's called you to victory. He hasn't called you to defeat. Let's walk in victory. I want to open up a time of prayer here real quick before we finish up. I want to pray for leadership. If you need, if you need prayer for leadership, if you need prayer for guidance, if you need prayer for courage, now's the time. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.